reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God, you yourselves, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it is contained in Scripture, Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you were God's people. And had you not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the one who reads it, for we who hear it, and for us together as one community that we might grow in the fullness of the things that you have for us in your son, Jesus. That's our heart's desire. That's our heart's longing this morning. So come and meet with us as we meet with you, giving the help of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. Recently I was watching a documentary and in it were featured what they call now social media influencers. And there were two of them that were featured in this particular documentary. And these are people who, they're basically, they make their livelihood and they kind of find their purpose in life by being on social media and getting people to like them and to like stuff that they like. How you can make a living off this, I'm not sure. <laughs> but they have found a way to do it. Well, they kept referring to, they're talking to the interviewer, and they kept referring to their brand. And finally, the, the interviewer asked each of them, well, what is your brand? And suddenly they were stumped. <laughs> um, they, they had defined their meaning as promoting meaning, but they never defined the meaning that they were promoting. And it showed a terrible flaw. Because purpose and meaning have to go together or neither one works. And our culture has, has lived through this idea of um, finding and searching for purpose and meaning. And we've been through a whole century plus of that way of thinking about it. We've moved into now this realm of trying to create purpose and meaning. What are we here for? And if we're here for something more than ourselves then how can we ourselves create our own meaning? What I want to posit this morning is that there is a a direct connection between the presence of God and the purpose of humanity. And we've begun five or so weeks ago by basically saying this, and it was right after Resurrection Sunday, we're talking about how the Passover is God's saving event And it corresponds with the cross. So you can say rightly, when were you saved? The day that the nails went into the hands of my Lord, I was saved that day. 
And yet, Pentecost is the anniversary of the giving of the law when Moses came down from Sinai, bringing the law into the camp. And the people said, everything the Lord said, we will do it. Pentecost is the anniversary of the covenant. It is, um, and it matches with the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. As the the Torah came down on Sinai um, by by the hand of Moses and the Lord covered Sinai like a canopy, like a chuppah, there was a wedding that took place, if you would say, between, between the Lord and Israel. And so in the same way, there's a sealing that takes place, uh, not like a sealing, but like actually sealed. There is a stamp of God's approval, of God's purposes, of God's uh, continuing presence on God's people on the day of Pentecost. And these two things match. And we said that you can't, that many of us think that we can kind of go We can know the Exodus, but not know Sinai. And you've got to know both. You've got to know both that saving act that God accomplished that makes it real and that covenant with God that makes it present. Last week, Pastor Hannah said that that the temple, like the church, is a place where God's glory dwells. And when we say the church, we mean capital C church, like us, people, God's people. We're the place where God's presence dwells. Then the week before that, she told us that God's spirit coming upon his people is the prophetic power by which we proclaim the mighty deeds of God. And we were, she was going off Numbers chapter 11, where the elders of Israel, uh, Moses brought them together in the camp and the spirit came upon them. They began to declare the mighty deeds of God and give God praise. And two people were absent. They started to praise too. And um, Moses... Joshua came up to Moses and said, Lord, do you want us to make the two that weren't here? Do you want us to make them stop it? And Moses said prophetically, no. Would that all God's people prophesy? And what we're moving towards is this idea that um, that's what happens when Joel chapter 3 is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. That what God is doing is he is pouring out his spirit on his people so that we will declare his mighty deeds. We could probably stop there and pack up. But no, we're not going to. So what happens is this. Like Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes like a mighty wind upon all of us and like flames of fire upon each of us. And so the move of God is both corporate and individual, or we could say personal. But what is that power for? What is it that we're made for? What is it that God is about? What is it that God is doing? What were we created for? What I think is at the core of today's text, which is the first Peter text, is this, that the goal of of God's presence with his people is God's presence with his people, first of all. First and foremost, this, God created you for himself. God created you for him. God places his presence with you because that's what he's always wanted. Because that's what he's been about from the very beginning. From the days that we walked in the garden, that's what he's been about. From Israel, when, when even they had sinned and Moses went and interceded, finally God said, yes, I'll go up with you. And he placed his presence back in the middle of the camp, no longer outside where it wasn't supposed to be, but in their midst. Why? Well, God said why. Because I am the Lord, the Lord, abounding in mercy and compassion. God's, 
incredible love is that he wants fellowship with us. And there's no good reason or explanation for it other than his total kindness. And so this is the image that he starts out with, that Peter starts out with. He says that you're a spiritual house, i.e. the temple of God. And it's very easy to miss the implications of this, how God's presence is connected with this. Because a temple is meant to be the local resting place of God's presence. That's what a temple is meant to be. And if God is making us a temple... It is so that he can dwell in us. We think of Moses building the temple. We think of Solomon building the temple. But the design is God's. God is the builder of the temple. He's the establisher of the temple. And he's the one who desires to fill it with his presence. But the presence is conditional. I want you to hear this because you don't hear this very much. And this is a reality. The presence is conditional. When Israel kept God's word... God's presence filled his house. Think about Exodus chapter 40. Moses sets up the tabernacle and says, after everything, after Moses had completed everything that the Lord commanded him to do, then God's glory filled the house. And then, and it says that the glory of the Lord was so powerfully present that that Moses couldn't even stand to be in there. And then it says in the text, I think Hannah used last week from 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 7 that when Solomon had completed everything in the temple that the glory of the Lord came upon the house so powerfully that the priests could not stand to minister after they had done everything God had commanded to do Jesus says this he says that when we keep his word that he will send us another helper to be with us forever He says, if anyone loves me, my father will love him and we will come and make our home in him. The presence of God in your life is known as you obey his word. The presence of God is, if you want to know God, begin doing what he says. If you want to know God, begin keeping his word. And you'll experience his person and his presence and his faithfulness to his promises. Refuse to. And you'll experience his absence. He will be with you, but you won't be with him. The glory of the Lord can depart. Think about 1 Samuel chapter 4, where the the ark is taken out to battle and is captured by the Amalekites. And the the holy place is declared, Yitkavod, the glory is gone. Think about Ezekiel's vision in Ezekiel chapter 10 as the glory and presence of God departs from the temple in Jerusalem. Or think about Revelations in chapters 1 through 3. Again and again the Lord warns, repent or I'll remove the lamp from its lampstand. I'll remove my presence from you. So we ought not take God's presence for granted. We are meant to be a temple, a place for God's presence. And that temple is a place, Peter says, of living stones. If you think of each stone as a believer that's added to this house, this house is meant to grow. This house is meant to cover the earth. Why? Well, because God's glory proclaimers are meant to cover the earth because God's glory covers the earth. That everywhere God is, his name should be proclaimed. And who's meant to do it? We are created in his image. 
So the idea is this house that grows and envelops the world, a house that also crosses time. You know, I think there's a denomination that gets kind of ragged on because they... um, they take names off the rolls after believers, or they, ref- they neglect to take names off the rolls after believers die. Why should they even do that? You should leave them on. They're still members. Our church is huge. It's just a lot of us have gone ahead of us, and that's okay. They have not ceased to be part of the church. They're just ahead of us. They're praising in the presence. They're doing what we want to do. They're there already. This church transcends time. In fact, the the church so transcends time that this church is largely future. The bulk of the church now is future. The bulk of the history of the church is yet to come because we're going to praise God forever. So this has been a blink of an eye these last 2,000 years. Um, God's presence is made to fill us and made to grow us and what makes us alive. And you think as, as God breathed into Adam to make Adam a living soul, so God breathed his spirit into the church on that particular Pentecost to make us a living being. And the temple is a place to, to enjoy God's presence. It's a place of worship. And Peter tells us what kind of worship this is meant to be. It's a worship that's made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For sinners to worship a holy God, there's two things that we've been saying over and over again have to happen first. The first is that there needs to be a cleansing that makes the relationship possible. And there has to be a covenant that makes the relationship current, that makes the relationship present. A covenant is the ground rules for our relationship with God. And then we see that this worship then is renewed intimacy with God. In other words, what has happened in this house, what it is that God is doing in, in, this, in this place is not only making it possible for us to draw near so that he can love us, but also making it possible so that we can, we can love him. If you want to hear the history of the world in five words, I'm going to give it to you. This is God speaking. Well, maybe it's seven. Here's God speaking. I love you. And this is his people. We love you too. That's that's what history is meant to do. That's what history is created to do. It's meant to glorify God who is our maker, who's our creator. But the temple is also a place of shelter. It's a place where widows and orphans and the foreigner find rest. It's a place where the homeless found a home. It's where the parentless found a family. It's where the nationless found a people. It was a place where any time God was praised and thanked that God's people, no matter how poor, were invited to the table to eat. But not everyone could enter. And this is what what Peter says in verses 5 and 6. He says that, that only those who value that cornerstone... Only those who value the cornerstone can enter, and those who don't recognize the value of that cornerstone will not be a part of it. They'll be left out of the house if they don't accept him as the foundation. I love that passage from Isaiah 4 that we heard earlier because it speaks of a day when 
God's glory, like it covered Mount Sinai, will cover the whole city of Jerusalem. That all of the assemblies of the Lord will be covered. It'll be a, a cloud that is uh, shelter from the sun by day and protection by night. And when we read these kinds of words, we can't help but think of the Exodus. We can't help but think of how God was with them as a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And so read guidance, read protection, read care. It says that, that, that canopy, and if we're thinking with our Jewish mind, we're thinking chupa, we're thinking wedding, right? A canopy. We're thinking, and I love the, the translation you read from, because, because it actually translates it, tabernacle, I believe? What is it? I forget what word that the, the translation uses, but it, it, it captures also this idea that the cloud itself is a tabernacle, that, that over all of Jerusalem is one tabernacle, the, the tent, the holy place, the holy holies is the whole city. This is, this is God's purpose. This is God's goal. That God's presence with us is his goal. His presence with us is the expression of his love for you, of his care for you. His goal is to gather you so you can find a refuge of him, delight in him, enjoy him, worship him, wonder at him. And from his vantage point, he wants to get to love us. That's what he made us for. So meaning isn't something that we discover. It's not something that we create. Meaning is a gift that's given to us. You are meaningful. Translate also significant, right? You're meaningful because you're loved by God. It's, it, that's what the value of this cornerstone is. That Jesus Christ is an expression of God's love for you by which he purchased you to make you his own. He ransomed you back so that you can be his. And his claim on you is not because of your greatness, but because of his. He cleanses you and covenants with you and makes you part of his house. And you were created to be a recipient of his love. And the spiritual sacrifices then that we offer is our us. The spiritual sacrifice then that you offer God in response to his love is your you. You give him yourself. This is how Paul expresses it in in Romans chapter 12 when he talks about spiritual sacrifices. He says, present yourselves as a spiritual sacrifice unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service of worship. It makes sense to give yourself to God who's loved you so much. That's what you made for. So there's a matter here. The matter here is is the praises of God. If his love for us results in our worship of him, where's his praise? Jesus said that if we didn't praise him, that the stones would cry out. So if living stones of his house don't cry out, who's going to praise him then? There's a direct relationship between God's presence and the passionate worship of him by his people. That's what you're meant for. What is your purpose? If that's your meaning, if your meaning is to be loved, your purpose is to be part, is to be part of God's means of his expanding people. This temple that's, that's a living temple is, is grown by means of a priesthood. 
And again, we can read this so quickly and not think about what, what is it that priests do? Well, priests tell each other, tell other people about God and invite people to know God. In other words, God places his presence with you so that you can proclaim him to the world. This is what this is what the the this is what Peter says. He says that we were called to called to God in order to declare the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And again, like the presence being wrapped up with obedience, proclamation is the foundation of obedience. When Israel kept the covenant, the nations were to say, "What nation is like?" Israel, who, who has a God so good and a law so great and law so just? Deuteronomy 4, 7 and 8 tells us. When the church keeps Jesus' commandment, what happens? He says, love one another. By this they'll know you are my disciples. By the love that you have for one another. Proclamation. The greatest apologetic is the love that exists in this family as it's presented to the world. What are you for? There's a direct connection between the presence of God and and the proclamation of his goodness by his people. Think back to Pastor Hannah's sermon on Numbers 11. God's prophetic presence causes us to proclaim his person. Think of the instruction of Jesus. You will receive power on high to be my witnesses. Look forward to Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they proclaimed the mighty deeds of God. I want us to consider all this because it's easy to criticize a world that's left either searching for their purpose or trying to create their own purpose and say, how silly of them. But there's people in your life who don't know what that purpose is because we haven't told them. We haven't told them. God has a purpose for you. He wants you to be a declarer of his glory. And they don't know, and they're looking everywhere else in the world for purpose and meaning. If we did our purpose, they would know theirs. The glory of God is the purpose of people. I'm afraid that sometimes were like a group of day workers without a job assignment. <laughs> we begin adulthood overwhelmed by the things we possibly could do, and then we grow older wondering if we've done what we ought. God's purpose for us is to call others to himself. God's meaning for us is to be loved by him. They go hand in hand, but they're not caught up together. In other words, his love for you is not based on your proclaiming. But your proclaiming is rooted in his love for you. And so you've got a lot of roles, and they're wonderful, and God gave all of them to you as a child, as a parent, as a brother, as a sister, as a mom, as a dad, as an adult, as a child, as a student, as a worker, as a friend. You've got all these different roles, and they're wonderful. But all of them are wrapped up with one purpose that your relationships are the place where you declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
we could say that the presence of God with the people of God is so that more people can be part of the people of God. As we worship him, we add others. As we add others, we can't help but worship him. And the purpose of the presence of God is enjoying him and incorporating others. And I want to say that what I'm talking about is the goal of everything. And that sounds like a big claim. But I'll tell you why I think that's true. I'll tell you why I'm convinced of it. Because I see it throughout the Bible, but I see it at the end of the Bible. See, by the time you reach the end of the Bible, you see that that the heavenly city is an eschatological shelter. And in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, we find that the, the tabernacle of God is with humanity, kind of a picture that we saw in Isaiah 4. And here we are at the very end, and saying... God's presence is with his people. It's right here and there's no more crying. There's no more weeping. There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow and death has been slain forever. That this is God with us and us with God. But then it goes on in the next half of the chapter or the next two thirds of the chapter. It's not only an eschatological shelter, this place of refuge where we worship God and know him and we're one with him and we love him. But it's also this eschatological expanding shelter. It's a tent that grows and grows. And by the time we get there, we see that there are three gates on every side. Why? Because people are meant to enter from every direction. And why three gates? Because lots of people are coming. In other words, people from all over are supposed to come in great numbers. And the gates never close because they're meant to come all the time. Peter gives us this picture of a temple that fills the earth. And then Revelation gives us a picture of, of, an, of the earth filling the temple. And, and John, he's being a little bit ironic when he says, I looked around and there is no temple. Because he knows what he's talking about. He knows the temple incredibly well. And he's described a city that is a cube. It's as high, as wide as it's tall. And he knows what else is a cube. The Holy of Holies is a cube. In other words, in other words, the goal of God for history is a place where you draw near just by walking in. It's an audience with the king where every seat is the front row. It is a place where you can draw where you are called to draw near to know him as he truly is and be loved, where you're welcomed and there are no bad seats. And we're at the very end of it. The last thing we hear is, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And the question is, do we? Do we come? Do we say, come? Come. I want to ask you this morning, is your greatest joy being loved by God? Completely unqualified. Not when I do this or when I'm completely unqualified is your greatest joy being loved by him. That's what he wants your greatest joy to be. That's what you're meant to be. And all the stuff that we add on to it and all the stuff that we try and do to either earn or manipulate that love stands in the way of the love that he has for us. It's your greatest joy to be loved by God then your greatest desire will be to make him known. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for the delight that you have over us, the writer uh, 
the book of Zephaniah says that you rejoice over us with singing. And we forget that. And we need to be reminded that the only thing that we have going for us that makes everything else work and everything else right is the fact that you love us. You love us so much that you sent your son to die for us, to be the saving act, to be the cleansing covenant by which we can enter and know your presence forever. So Lord, I pray that you would put that on the forefront of our minds and hearts throughout this week, but it would change our words. It would change our purpose that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen.